the mostly updated now zoning of regulations. This week, we're going to learn all the specifics about the new proposed zoning bylaw. We're joined by the director of the Zoning Bylaw Renewal Project, Olivia Ballone. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 228. It's the last one before we break for the summer and enjoy a much-needed vacation. We hope you take one as well. But it is a beefy episode today, so we're going to get straight into the rapid-fire segment. EPS may be spreading fear with remarks about violence downtown was a quote from a criminologist this week who also noted unique insights like, quote, cars may have tires and, quote, it's possible Wednesday comes after Tuesday. A citation has been issued by the Law Society to a former Alberta Conservative Justice Minister. No, not that one. No, not the other one either. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith has said she's taking this situation very seriously, but unfortunately, the Crown prosecutor she emailed about it told her that her pardon powers don't extend to the Law Society. Think we're going to get sued for that one? I hope not. (laughs) I think it's clearly satire, so. In an effort to preserve public health, local officials are asking you to, wow, maybe just wear something less flattering for a couple days? Area doctors have noted that you're an absolute smoke show and whatever you're doing with your hair is working, but the public health risk from breathing in all that smoke means you need to just try, I'm sure unsuccessfully, to be less of an A-plus catch for just a few days. Speaking Municipally is a publication of, of Taproot Edmonton, and this episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Want to feel great about your city? Check out the ECF's Well Endowed podcast. If you live in Edmonton, chances are you've been touched by the work being done with the support that ECF provides to the city's shakers, movers, and doers. On the Well Endowed podcast, you'll hear stories about ECF's donors and grantees and all the ways they use this support to build and sustain social initiatives, empower youth, strengthen arts and culture, and so much more. Hear stories about our local heroes and community builders at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As we teased last week, we're going to have a pretty big discussion about zoning this week. And it's one of my favorite things to do on Speaking Municipally to get an expert on the show and really like get into the wonkish weeds. I think it's something that the podcast format and, you know, our nerdery between Mac and I, it's something that (laughs) really makes our day. We're very excited to have the director of the Zoning Bylaw Renewal team, Livia Ballone, here with us today. Welcome to the show, Livia. Thank you. I'm glad to join. Well, maybe first you could just orient uh, listeners a little bit. So you're the director of this team that is focused on zoning bylaw renewal. What does that What does that mean? How long have you been working on this? Uh, we started the initiative uh, in 2018, um, just kind of like part time. And we did a lot of engagement alongside the city plan. Uh, we did engagements throughout 2018 and 19 with the city plan. And then we really started focusing this more on in 2020. And so that's when I um, uh, was assigned to be the director of the zoning bylaw renewal. Excellent. And Troy said we're going to get into the weeds, but I have to ask you something first here. Every day, it seems like there's another letter published in the newspaper talking about how terrible this whole project is going to be for Edmontonians. We've seen people get organized. How are you actually feeling about this? You must have a pretty (laughs) stressful job right now as the leader of this team. It's been an interesting ride over the last number of years. We know zoning is not an interesting topic generally, and it's really hard to get people involved in zoning. And so 
we've really had to think through, you know, our engagement and communications plan. And often people get interested in zoning when there's something happening across the street from them or down the block. And so we know with a with a citywide new zoning bylaw and having to rezone properties, it would be a little bit harder to get people involved. And so I realize people are just tuning in now. And and that's okay. We have a lot of information on our websites. We've been getting a lot of different correspondence by email and connecting with people and just bringing people up to speed with this. So we anticipated this. Uh, we anticipated some people to, to gather and and maybe not feel comfortable or be against it. And so we were expecting it, um, but it is a lot uh, extra work, a lot more work right now. And but But that's okay, because the more people that we have informed about the bylaw, the better. You mentioned something right there. People are tuning in right now. But Mm -hmm. people have tuned in, like you said, since 2018. What has the engagement looked like for the past almost, what is it, five, seven years that this process has been going on? It's been quite a few years. Before the official renewal of the bylaw started, uh, we always had a zoning bylaw team that made changes to the bylaw. So I might have heard about open option parking, where we remove parking minimums. That project was uh, started well in advance of the renewal, and and council approved that in 2020. So we've always had the zoning bylaw team, but more efforts for the renewal of the bylaw. And the, the existing bylaw has been in place since 2001, but it's been uh, not comprehensively renewed since the 1960s. So we knew it was time. New city plan bylaws like doubled in size, so we knew it was time. And so uh, as I mentioned in 2018, um, the zoning bylaw team did engagements along with the city plan team. And so we did like pop-up events in 2018 and 19. We did workshops, you know, an insight survey. And so just try to connect with a lot of Edmontonians. And that was really around what is the foundation for the new bylaw? What is the philosophy of the new bylaw? What is what is the direction that we want to go in? And so this is where people shared with us, we want a more streamlined bylaw. We want a more plain language bylaw. We need to have less zones. I need to know how I can just build a deck. How can I just know easily how to build a deck in Edmonton? And so that engagement in, in 2018-19, and it went into a bit of 2020, was really around that foundation. And then in 2020, we prepared a number of, I don't want to call them white papers or discussion papers, but you know, a topic would be, what are we doing with the residential zones? What are we doing with the commercial zones? And how can we support small businesses in Edmonton? How can we continue to preserve our our and protect our river valley and our park system. And so uh, we heard from Edmontonians on the philosophy and then we created these papers and we engaged with Edmontonians on those papers in 2020. And it really just was really laying the foundation before we started writing the bylaw. Phase two was really to start developing that bylaw. And so again, we um, did a lot of different types of engagements, workshops, uh, information sessions, we met with our Indigenous partners and organizations. We connected with youth. Uh, we did these community conversations just to learn from representatives from like uh, Indigenous communities, from women, um, from different abilities. And so just really learned about how can we confirm the, the philosophy and the way we want to go with this bylaw. And then during that phase two is when we started drafting the bylaw. And we actually released the first draft last year. We did a four-month engagement. We got a lot of, you know, thousands of different different comments and questions and workshops and open houses, chats with a planner. And so during that phase two, we also know we needed to educate 
Edmontonians and kind of do like a call to action, get people involved. And so we did podcasts and videos, put a flyer in the taxation notice. So every property owner uh, got a got an insert in their tax notice about zoning bylaw renewal. So really that phase two is around building the bylaw, drafting the bylaw and sharing it with Edmontonians. And then really this last year, um, we we launched the second draft of the bylaw this last May, and we heard from Edmontonians that wasn't long enough, so we've extended that engagement, and that engagement's still currently taking place. Engage Edmonton has been our platform. You can see our bylaw on the platform right now, but during this, we've had uh, tried to just find different ways for Edmontonians to get involved, either through information sessions and ideas, people can log ideas, we had, can do have a chat with a planner, you can contact us, so a lot of different opportunities over the last number of years. I think, Troy, you said in a previous episode that, you know, the engagement on this project has been really impressive. And compared to lots of other city projects, there's been an awful lot of engagement, as you've just described, Livia. Um, One of the challenges, I think, is that, as you pointed out, zoning is kind of a bit esoteric for people. It's a bit in the weeds. It's hard to get connected with. It's (laughs) it's dry, right? All those things. You know, we did that episode a few years back with uh, now Councillor Ann Stevenson when she was a planner working on this project. And of all the detail we talked about and all of the documents and stuff, the thing that stood out to me the most was this idea of streamlining the bylaw, reducing the number of zones, making it a lot smaller, knocking off some of the several hundred pages that have been added uh, in recent years. So help us maybe understand if that's actually what's happening here, because as Troy and I have started looking into this draft alongside everybody else, there's all these things, context modifiers, there's a whole bunch of different zones, there's all these different things, different components that actually seem to make it potentially more complicated. Like there's a lot of permutations at at play here. So are we actually making this thing less complex? We are. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you mentioned about the number of zones. We have a lot of different zones in our bylaw. We call them standard zones. We have these special area zones, depending what part of the city, you have special areas. And then there's direct control zones where, you know, none of the zones are really working for potential development. So a developer or property owner or someone will come in and just create this new special zone for, for a site context. So what we were finding, we had a lot of residential zones and a lot of them were doing the same thing. They're all generally small scale zones, maybe a few little differences, maybe a, a site width was a little bit different. Maybe the height was just a little bit different. And so we just had a really good look at where we can, you know, collapse a number of zones. So our current zoning bylaw has 46 standard zones right now, and we're collapsing them to 24 zones. Of those 46, 16 of them are residential zones, and we're, we're now moving them down to six. And so what the impact of this is, is that if someone is in a small scale zone and wanted to do a row house, they actually would have to do go to a rezoning to a city council public hearing. So it's decided by a council. So that adds six to eight months onto the process, which there's always like, you're uncertain, will council approve this or not approve this? Like, um, so there's cost, there's uncertainty with that. And so again, we did a thorough, thorough analysis of all the zones and we just felt that, um, and we we're proposing through this new bylaw that is reducing the number of zones. Another big shift is uses. And so the zoning bylaw currently has 125 defined uses. So this is like a grocery store, a personal service shop, a duplex, uh, industrial building. And so we have all these different types of uses. And every time a new innovative business model came up, we had to create another use class if it couldn't fit under. So we're just adding and adding to these uses, which means a lot of maintenance of the bylaw, 
a lot of businesses would say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm starting this business, but I might grow and I might want to add some different services or have a different change of business model. But now I have to go in for another new permit. And so what we've done is actually collapsed again, a number of uses. So we're going from 125 uses to 51. And so this is where, uh, you know, a business owner won't have to come in for a change of use application and things like that, because we're making our, our zones and our uses much more broader. So we'll be able to see a lot more happening in the neighborhoods. This will also help with that living locally, you know, and, and, and seeing more types of businesses and services in, in neighborhoods and in local nodes and our more major nodes and things like that. So just generally, we have less regulations, less zones, less uses, and we've tried to make the bylaw in much more plain language and, and easily accessible. So we're looking at, uh, we're ha we'll have a new platform for the bylaw that people can go on and, and, and be able to search information much more quicker. I want to talk a little bit about the collapsing of the zones, because obviously that was one of the goals with the zoning bylaw. But there is one notable exception to that. And I'm thinking of there's two low density zones, RS and RSF, which is low density for greenfield versus non-greenfield. What was the thinking behind separating those two sort of like similar residential zones? So we had, we've had a lot of discussion, <laughs> a lot of discussion about that. So it's interesting that you have pointed this out. And so just for the audience to know, there's two, two zones. One's called RS, residential small scale zone. And there's a second one called uh, residential small scale flex zone. And so the flex zone is being proposed for our developing neighborhoods. Uh, so generally those neighborhoods that are outside the Anthony Henday and then the RS zone would be applied within uh, those areas experience infill that have been developed for quite a long time. Again, a lot of discussion about this. We felt like we needed a bit more flexible zone in the, in the new neighborhoods for a variety of reasons. Developers are testing new housing forms, new models, using shallower lots, zero lot line development. They wanted a little bit more height to enable a, a flex zone that um, just allowed a lot of more different housing opportunities and types. We just felt like there needed to be that separate zone. And we, we at the time, and we still feel this today, is that we just weren't sure with increasing heights, increased site coverage, and having more sh shallow lots that um, it really wouldn't fit into the context of already developed neighborhoods. So now saying that though, like if there is a large site within our Anthony Hendy and our neighborhoods that are experiencing infill, this flex zone could fit in there. It would have to be a decision by council though. It would have to go to council to uh, rezone it to that flex zone. But the flex zone really is just uh, still small scale, but a little bit of a higher height, higher site coverage, and more uh, opportunities for flexible different types of homes and houses. Is it fair to say that the separation of these two zones might be, with the removal of the mature neighborhood overlay, doing some of that transition lifting? Obviously, we're getting rid of the MNO. We're very happy about that on the podcast. But there are some aspects of the MNO, like site coverage, like height, that um, residents obviously really do enjoy about the mm -hmm. MNO protections. Is the idea with separating out these zones is basically it's like, okay, we've done the work of getting rid of the MNO. Here's the quote unquote, compromise to let this be passable? Yes. Yeah. I'll just be transparent with that. Yes. However, in the new RS zone, there is a slight increase in height. There is a slight increase in um, 
in in that site coverage. And there's also an increase. There is uh, more housing forms uh, allowed in that zone. And so, you know, a lot of our our small scale zones right now, like RF1, you can have a single detached, a semi detached, a secondary suite, a garden suite. And so what we're moving to is a, is a more broad zone that will also allow small apartments and row housing. We actually have another uh, small scale zone here in Edmonton called the um, RF3 zone. I think it's a small scale infill development zone. This zone is in many neighborhoods across the city, Bonnie Dune, Eastwood, Forest Heights, Ritchie, Prince Charles. And that zone actually does allow for multi-unit housing already in there. And the height is 10 meters or if you're 8.9 meters in the MNO. So we already have a zone that this new RS zone is, is, is mimicking except we've just gone a little bit more higher height and a bit more uh, uh, site coverage and things like that. One of the things that comes to mind for me when you're talking about the difference between these two zones is is equity. And one of the appealing things to me about you know renewing the zoning bylaw and updating it more substantially from the 1960s is that it gives us an opportunity to address some of the inequities that have been codified within the zoning bylaw. But when you were talking there, it almost sounded like we're codifying inequity. And what I mean by that is, and this is this is broad generalizations, but yep. generally it's going to be cheaper to buy a new build house outside the Hende than to do an infill project in a mature neighborhood within the city, within the Hende. But if you're in that RS zone, you don't have those things like zero lot lines, the same height, those kinds of things. If you're in the RSF zone, you're outside, you're now faced with some of those things. Isn't that kind of continuing to codify some inequity between different parts of the city into the zoning bylaw? How we've looked at it is that both zones enable the same housing types, single detached to multi-unit housing, secondary suites to garden suites. The difference with the RSF is just a slightly higher height, slightly higher site coverage. And zero lot line really only really, really works either in a large site or um, in new new neighborhood development, because you really have to look at the development on the block when you're starting to do zero lot line development. So zero lot line development only really works in certain uh, circumstances and often, again, not in an infill situation where you're just doing one lot. Uh, we wouldn't even allow a zero lot line development on just a one lot development. And so there's different contexts where RSF What's being proposed in there in different some different housing forms uh, is it, it's more in a new subdivision type of type of development. Equity. This was really important to the project, really around looking at around housing diversity, more flexibility on a lot, allowing home-based businesses, small businesses, the expansion of community services. And I can actually talk further about that if there's another question about what we've done on the equity side of things. But you know, that flex zone just provides just a little bit more flexibility. Okay, just one quick follow-up. Should we even allow zero lot lines? Like, is that a good uh, practice for, like, are, are homeowners happy about zero lot lines? Why don't we just not have zero lot lines anywhere? Before you answer that question, um, my jargon alert's going on. Could we explain for the dear listener what zero lot line development <laughs> sure, actually is? Sure, yeah. It's um, where, uh, if you think of a, a, a row, maybe a row house, there's three units attached to each other. One side of the row house, the end of the row house, will be right on the property line. That's what it means. And so the, the neighboring development, the neighboring site, will need to have a larger side set back 
because you need to have a certain size of set setbacks for you know building codes and things like that. So the setback next door won't be 1.5, 1.2 or 1.5, it'll be much larger. So it, it's a, it's just a different type of uh, arrangement on a lot, but it really happens like looking at a block. Uh, so again, it happens much more often in, in new neighborhoods. And there's different easements that need to be applied because, you know, the per- person who's on in that row house, they have no side yard and they need to have access to the neighboring property side yard. It's just a different type of development that the developers are doing right now. So wouldn't it just be simpler to say, we're going to do away with all the need for those easements and setbacks and just not have them? Is it just in there because developers want to build that way? Yep, the developers want to build that way and there's a market for it. We don't want to talk about RSF the whole episode because we got a whole zoning bylaw to get into. But before we get further into it, I think we do want to touch a little bit more on the equity piece because I think that's pretty important. Take us through a little bit of some of the equity enabling aspects of the zoning bylaw renewal and what, what's been thought about in yeah. drafting this. Thanks for asking this question. This equity lens to writing a bylaw was really important to us right from the start. The city plan gives us direction. Our new municipal development plan gives us direction to be a more inclusive and compassionate city. And so uh, we had to take a step back and how, you know, really think through like, how can we take this equity lens as we're writing the bylaw? And so we had to do, we had to do a lot of some training ourselves, a lot of research, seeing what other jurisdictions are doing and just really look at every regulation or set of regulations and how can we do that equity lens. And so some examples that we've done is, uh, you know, really ensuring that our regulations are based on land use impacts and not users. And so this is where we didn't want to regulate people, types of people or age of people or whatever, right? And so, you know, here's an example. In our current bylaw, we have specific regulations for pawn stores, or secondhand stores. And so we had to dig a little further, like, you know, why are we regulating secondhand stores or pawn stores different? And, and we felt, you know, perhaps our regulations were around the perceptions of the users of those businesses or aspects of social disorder. And so we don't have like a pawn store as a separate use. It's now just called indoor sales and services. It's like any other type of, you know, businesses that's being being offered in Edmonton. Um, another equity uh, lens is looking at access to services and amenities. And so, for example, we had recycling drop-off centers. You know, if you go to Southgate Mall, there's a recycling drop-off center there. And so, we had that very limited across the city. And so we wanted to make sure that recycling drop-off centers were available to more Edmontonians across the city in more neighborhoods and commercial areas. Community services was another one, religious assemblies and things like that. We wanted to offer more community services across the city instead of just in certain neighborhoods. On safety and comfort, um, we integrated crime prevention through environmental design uh, more in the bylaw. So an example could be um, a main entrance to a business that it's making sure it's it's visible either from the street or parking lot. And so there's not like hiding places and things like that. Mobility. We have more bike parking regulations in this bylaw. We've also widened pathways. So on private development that you could actually fit a stroller or a wheelchair or I'm right now using a scooter <laughs> and I'm finding how challenging it is on sidewalks on certain sidewalks, so making sure sidewalks are a certain width. 
Um, and then just making sure we're using equitable language throughout the bylaw, not using the term walkway, but pathway, um, taking the words power out or using the word master. So yeah, it was just a variety of different ways that we were able to, to look at the bylaw and, and make those changes. So we have a more equitable bylaw. Do you think that's innovative and something that Edmonton is doing differently? Or is this, did you look to other cities for inspiration? On this. There's a lot of renewals happening across Canada right now. We're all kind of watching each other and seeing mm-hmm. what they were doing with the different bylaws. We've done a lot of presentations from Ottawa to Vancouver to Lethbridge sharing what we're doing. And um, so we had a lot of different uh, municipalities contact us. We had created ourselves, we called it an equity toolkit as like a worksheet just to help us take through regulations or, or a collection of regulations just to take that equity lens. And so we've had other municipalities ask us if they could use it and we said yeah for sure uh, it's not perfect we're, we're learning as we go through this but anything to help them to take that equity lens definitely support them so i want to change gears a little bit and let's talk about some of the specific components of the zoning bylaw and i think i want to start with discretionary uses because our previous zoning bylaw or i suppose the current zoning bylaw as uh, we don't want to presuppose an outcome with public hearing here <laughs> yep. but the current zoning bylaw has a lot of discretionary usage. When you have a particular zone, there are a very small number of things that are permitted. You can definitely do on the lot. And then there's a bunch of stuff that you can probably do on a lot, but the development officer has to say A-OK. And we've moved away from that in the new zoning bylaw. Is there any concept of discretionary authority, discretionary usage with the planning officer? Or have we done away entirely with sort of development officer authority discretion in the new zoning bylaw? That's a really good question. So yeah, we have a lot of discretionary uses in our current bylaw and and they are uh, in most cases on the at the discretion of the development planner. By the way, we've changed uh, development officer to planner as part of our equity uh, equity lens. What we've proposed in the new bylaw is mostly permitted uses. There are some discretionary uses in our river valley zones, as an example. We just felt that the, they needed a bit extra layer of review and alignment with statutory plans and making sure that the development in the River Valley has that extra layer of review and and decision. So what we've done with the bylaw is that with the permitted uses, yes, we have a list of permitted uses. However, a lot of them will also kind of have conditional regulations to it. So you can have this use, however, the size of the, the business or the floor area must be this or these could be only located on corner lots. And so we had a lot of discretionary uses. We weren't sure why they were discretionary. There really wasn't any direction in the bylaw for the development planner to make that decision, or there wasn't any direction in the statutory plan, which is like the neighborhood plan to give that. And so we weren't really sure why some some were discretionary. Some may be a bit more, you know, okay, we understand why this is discretionary. So we've really gone to this approach where it's permitted, but there are some regulations, like some conditions that you must meet in order for this to be permitted. And if you don't meet these conditions, then it becomes a variance to the bylaw. Then the, the development planner then would review it, would review the variances and make the decision if it should be approved or not. Is it fair to say that this could be thought of as a transparency exercise? Because I have to think with um, discretionary uses, maybe it's in a statutory plan, maybe you have a regulation worksheet, but you have probably something written down somewhere that says, okay, when we're 
doing this discretionary appeal. Here's some of the things we look at. And it's kind of just written down in the bylaw up front. Anyone can read it now. Yes, definitely more transparent. The university also had done a equity lens to our current zoning bylaw, Dr. Sandeep Agrawal. Um, we had asked him to, as part of our equity work, like, can you tell us what are the issues with our current bylaw right now that we should be addressing? And so one of the ones was around discretionary uses, that it really wasn't transparent, wasn't equitable. A decision could be different from one neighborhood to the next neighborhood. We need to, need to look at this, you know, citywide. And so we really, uh, with the research um, that the university had done, is really is giving us that direction and that, like, okay, it's okay not to have all these discretionary uses. And so we were able to take that and then make the changes to the bylaw. And we know we're going to have to really monitor this. Like, there'll still be a zoning bylaw team after the zoning bylaw hopefully gets approved in, in October. We'll always have a zoning bylaw team, and we're going to have to heavily monitor on how this is going. And if we need to make some swift amendments and swift changes, we can do that afterwards. So if we have a bunch of conditional uses applied to a zone, um, and like you said, this is something that will probably be a big target for amendments in the future as we evaluate what precisely is working and what isn't. What does the amendment process look like here? Are all these conditional uses codified in the zoning bylaw? Is there a separate regulation? Does it all have to go to public hearing? What's the process like for modifying or adding conditional uses to these zones? So we, we only have two uses, permitted uses and discretionary uses. And, and when I was talking about the conditions, hmm. it's, it's, it's just an extra set of regulations for those permitted uses. Like in our neighborhoods, uh, maybe childcare services is only allowed in certain parts of the neighborhood. So there's some addition, additional set of regulations. I, I was calling them conditions, but they're just really like an extra set, set of regulations. The zoning bylaw team, there's different ways that we can make amendments to the zoning bylaw. It could be a motion by council. This is with the current bylaw or when our new bylaw gets approved, we can have a motion from council to make some changes. It could be administrative led. So I will have the zoning bylaw team will be you know heavily monitoring the bylaw and coming in with some omnibus amendments. The administration, the zoning Zoning bylaw team also has a number of special projects that we want to work on next year in 2025. And then um, any Edmontonian can make a uh, an application to make a text amendment as well. And so these three different types of, uh, of applications would all go to a city council public hearing and then council would have the final decision on that. All right, let's talk about a different uh, item that's come up inside the zoning bylaw. What is a context modifier? Troy keeps talking about context modifiers. What is that? Uh, so we we are calling them zone modifiers now. Zone it's modifiers, really, okay. really modifying uh, the zone. So it's kind of a new tool, generally a new tool, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's kind of a minute here. But really, it's um, an additional set of regulations that uh, applies to a site, a site within a zone. So. The context modifiers that we're proposing right now is height. So you might have a zone, the RM zone, where we're allowing different heights within that zone. So depending on where you're located, geographically located. So your height could be a certain height. Floor area ratio. So this is a, a building or a structure's floor area in relation to the total area of the site that the building is located on. So floor area ratio. And then commercial frontage. So commercial frontage, if you have the CF modifier, that means that you must have commercial on the main floor of the building and it must be oriented towards the street. So if you can think of our main streets, we generally want yeah. commercial on the main floor and oriented towards the street. So we have, again, height, floor area ratio, and commercial frontage. And these will be located on the zoning map. So 
RM zone is like our medium scale zone and, it, and it'll show what your height is, your FAR. And then the commercial frontage is for our mixed use zones. So why I said this is generally like we actually have a zone modifier now in our current bylaw, not hardly anyone knows about it. Uh, we actually have RA8 zone, which is a kind of a medium scale zone. And there's a height modifier in there. And it just happens to be a few blocks from my house here that they can go to a much larger height. The zone modifier is nothing new with other jurisdictions. Like it's in Toronto's zoning bylaw. I believe it's in Calgary's zoning bylaw. So we're we're not showing any innovation here necessarily on this because it is with other jurisdictions. So why this is important? Because this allow us, allows us to have less zones. Like I said, a lot of, say, a lot of our zones were looking the same. And the only thing that was different was maybe the height, floor area ratio uh, was different. And so what we've done is we've consolidated our zones, but within that zone, you could have a different, a number of different heights. And if you were to change the context modifier, it has to go to city council for approval. You're zoning RM zone, the medium scale zone to another medium scale zone, but just the height will change. And so that will be approved by council. And it needs to be in alignment like with the statutory plan. It sounds a little like a more specific overlay, no? No, uh, so yeah. Overlays. <laughs> this is where we get a little bit more detailed. So, got standard zones all across the city. It regulates, you know, almost every parcel uh, of of property in Edmonton. And overlays are where it's an extra set of regulations where it's specific to a geographical area. So, an overlay. So, we actually have an overlay for the River Valley and ravine systems. So, our whole River Valley and our our tributaries, like we have, we have an overlay on here, which could comprise a many different zones within that overlay. So it's just an extra set of regulations for that geographical area. We have a, like we have another one called the airport protection overlay. So we have an extra set of regulations if you're within a vicinity of the of the uh, airport as well. Uh, so how exactly does that overlay structure differ from a context or sorry, from a zone modifier because from my perspective, uh, a zone modifier sounds just like an overlay with one rule. Yeah. And it's height. Within the zone will be the context modifiers. You'll know what your height is or your floor area ratio. But within the overlay, it could go over many, many different zones. So mm. a lot of our context modifiers are only for um, like our medium and, and higher scale residential development and our mixed use development. So it's only for a certain select number of zones, whereas the overlay doesn't matter what type of zones it is. If you're within this geographical area, these extra set of regulations apply. Okay. So we've talked about modifiers. We've talked about you have these general zones and uh, we have specific context dependent switches. But it occurs to me is that I'm a software developer. I look at things from compositional complexity. And while we may have 23 zones, is not every zone permuted? Because if I'm a homeowner and I am in the RS zone, I'm not just in the RS zone, right? I have to look at my modifiers. I have to look at um, any different changes that have been applied for my specific context. Have we increased the complexity for the end user in some way by doing this? Um, so the small scale zones don't have any context okay. modifiers Great. generally. <laughs> so if you're RS zone, you pretty much need to look at your RS zone. Now, if you're in the RS zone and you want to have a home-based business, 
there is a, there is a section in the bylaw that there's an extra set of regulations for home-based businesses. Or if you want to set up a child care services, there's some extra regulations. So we we connect in the bylaw. Like if you go to the RSO and it'll say, go to this home-based business section for more information, basically. So we've tried to make it as you can navigate the bylaw as, as much as possible. Um, but your your question around like, have we made it more complex? No, we haven't. I think with the less zones, the less uses, how the bylaw is written, you can navigate the bylaw much easier. Um, we've retired overlays, we retired other sections of the bylaw, reduced the number of regulations. And so we've we've tried as much as possible. This is still a legal document, technical document. Sure. Like I have to just point that out. And yeah. like when I say when we we try with plain language, we've and our lawyers are on board with us who are reviewing the bylaw. We've tried to make this as much plain language as much as possible. But generally the less zones, less uses, less regulations. We tried our, our best and, and there's always opportunities for improvement to help navigate through that bylaw much, much more. And again, yes, I think it's going to take a while for people to get understand these zone modifiers you know i just simply put you go to your map oh i'm the rm zone my height is 16 like it, it's really clear what that modifier is saying i think where it gets a bit tricky then you were asking me the question troy was around how does that change and if we were to change the hot height modifiers it must get approved by council and it must align with with statutory plans one of the comments you made that, um, you know, obviously the RS zone won't have zone modifiers in it. Is it fair to say that one of the design guidelines with the zoning bylaw renewal is for a homeowner, for, you know, someone living on a small scale residential lot, the zoning bylaw by lot is quite a great deal more simple, but you've left in complexity for maybe the larger lots where engineering studies may need to be done and is appropriate to be done. I don't want to do an engineering study for my deck, but maybe if I'm building a skyscraper, that's that's appropriate. Is that a fair characterization? Yes. Yeah, we have a section of the bylaw around special information requirements. And, you know, again, depending where you're located, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's heavily contaminated, the site, and it's been flagged in our system. Maybe you need a geotechnical report because the, the ground is not stable. Maybe you're located near a high-pressure pipeline. And so we have all kinds of um, opportunities um, to ask for different special uh, information requirements or special studies. A lot of studies do happen during the rezoning stage. Like if you're someone's coming in and wants to say if you want to rezone from an industrial zone to a commercial or uh, residential zone, that site could heavily be contaminated. And so there's special studies that will need to happen. And so a lot of those special studies are taken at the uh, rezoning stage and then at the permit stage, uh, uh, depending on the use that's going in and what's flagged in our system, we may may require uh, special studies. Well, one other bit of complexity that I don't want to spend too much time on because I suspect we'll do a whole episode about this in the future. You mentioned earlier about district planning. What's the relationship between district planning and the zoning bylaw? We had our city plan approved in a couple of years ago, and that really that that is our combined transportation master plan, our municipal development plan, and really that plan is really giving us guidance on how we're going to develop and grow in Edmonton. The city plan talks about and uses terms like nodes and corridors. So nodes are kind of where our commercial and our mixed-use centers are. If you could think of like um, the Millwoods Mall or Century Park where the Heritage Mall used to be, our downtown is a, is a major node. And then the nodes are all connected by different corridors. And so what district planning is doing is really taking the city plan's policies 
for across the city and creating 15 district plans. And so really each district plan provides a bit more information how land use is going to happen, how mobility is going to provide direction for growth planning and decision making. And so really just it fine tunes what's in the city plan now. And it really just takes those nodes and corridors and just just a little bit more fine grained um, information. What, how is this connected to zoning? And so really the zoning bylaw is going to enable the implementation of those district plans. And so the district plans, for example, we want to have more mixed use centers, nodes, as an example. But our current bylaw, we, tr- we don't have any true mixed use zones. And so that's a big, uh, another new proposal that we're doing with this um, new bylaws. We're proposing two mixed use zones, one that can kind of be used at the larger kind of nodes, we have in a more of a neighborhood scale mixed use zone. And so with us creating or proposing these new mixed use zones, when district plans get approved, hopefully sometime next year by city council, that when property owner or developer comes in, they actually, uh, and the district plan gives direction, we want you know, a mixed use center here, mixed use sites, that, the, that they can then use the new mixed use zones in the new zoning bylaw. So let's t- go through a little theoretical exercise. One of the complaints that we heard with the zoning bylaw was, okay, I'm a landowner, let's say I live near 109th Street, uh, Mm -hmm. a couple blocks off. And I see the zoning bylaw that says, okay, three stories is going to be the maximum height that my zone um, RS will permit. Okay, I say, good, good on you, city council pass this bylaw. And then district planning goes forward. And then perhaps the area around 109th Street gets declared a corridor. And maybe there's eight stories permitted along that through a zone modifier. To a person saying this, it sounds a lot like the district planning functionally changes the zoning that they're agreeing to in this zoning bylaw discussion. What would you say to that and how would you interact with that criticism? This is, uh, we've been getting a lot of questions around how does district planning and zoning work? You're telling me I'm RF1, the single detached residential zone, I'm going to be rezoned through the zoning bylaw renewal to the new RS zone, which is slightly just a little bit higher. I understand that. But then how does whole this whole district planning work, especially if I'm within a certain distance from, from a corridor? So we've been letting Edmontonians know that it's really important for them to engage on the district planning project now. And again, these are directions from the city plan that council's approved. We've had a lot of thousands and thousands of Edmontonians involved in the, the creation of the district plan. But we're uh, letting people know to get get connected, know what what district you're in, what is being proposed along those nodes and corridors, get involved, provide some feedback. And so I believe district plans are being launched right away here, the next set of district plans. So highly encourage people to go to Engage Edmonton the next week or two to go see what their what their district plan is and understand what is being proposed along those corridors. And again, any any upzoning that happens along those corridors will need to go to city council for for a decision. So this is a administration is not making a decision on this, although we do a recommendation, but it will go to public hearing for a city council decision. Is it a fair characterization to say the zoning bylaw renewal process is just giving us the tools to actually do district planning? If you don't want an eight-story building near your house, you don't blame the existence of hammers, you blame district planning, which is actually <laughs> doing that work. So yes, I always see zoning the zoning bylaw as an enabling tool. Definitely, it, it's giving us the direction of what can be built on a property now, and then through the rezoning process, what can be built in the future. Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily blame district plan. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to use those terms, but the city plan gives us direction for this. And so we know that we need to grow differently in Edmonton. We need to move differently. We need, we, we need to change. We know that we're going to have 1 million more people moving to Edmonton. And where are these people going to live? Where are they going to shop? Where are they going to work? Where are they going to go visit parks and things like this? And so the city plan gives us direction that um, 50% of, of new units, new housing units have to be within our kind of our mature areas. We need to be a rebuildable, rebuildable city. You know, this is all connected to climate and to living locally, uh, offering services. I know my school across the street from my house was potentially going to close down (laughs) because we didn't have enough children going to to the school. Families are getting smaller. The densities are are much less in a lot of our neighborhoods. And so the services that we that businesses and libraries and schools could be shutting down because we just don't have enough people living in those areas. So it's really important to think strategically around where we're going to place these people in Edmonton. And so the city plan gives us that direction to really think through where where do we want new housing units? We want them in our nodes and corridors. We want generally our residential areas to have a variety of a diversity of housing types. And so it's really, really important to think through how we want to grow in the future and where we're going to um, have our, our our employment centers and how are we going to increase uh, density in our neighborhoods. We're conscious of your time uh, and un- unfortunately we have a billion more questions we want to ask. So we're going to get these as quick as possible. And one thing that I absolutely want to ask you about before you go is the SDAB, because I, I think with a lot of checks and balances, there's a sort of adversarial nature. You know, you think lawyers are in opposition to each other to find the truth and justice. Political parties sit in opposition. I often think that the SDAB, the Subdivision Development and Appeal Board, sort of sits in opposition to the planning department and to the zoning department. Do you see that in a similar way? And was the zoning bylaw drafted in such a way as to sort of reduce the amount of surface area that the SDAB has authority to interact with? Yeah, so they they have a role. They have a role to play to make sure that the development planner has um, made the right decision, you know, looking at the right uh, policies and guidance and statutory plans. You know, what is the impact? What is the land use impact in the surrounding area? Um, and this is a question we're getting quite a bit. Like, is there still a role for SDAB, the Subdivision Development Appeal Board? And yes, there is. Anytime that there's going to be a variance to any of the regulations, they still can be appealed. So there still will be a 21-day notification period to the surrounding neighbors. And so uh, discretionary uses, so development in the River Valley, if a development planner makes a decision for development in the River Valley, those can also be appealed. So there is still a role. We haven't eliminated them. It's just that because we've gone, we reduced the number of discretionary uses, we won't see as many appeals to, to discretionary uses. All right. A couple more uh, quick ones. One that I think should be quick and one that I, I'm hesitant to ask you quickly, but first of all, Airbnb, does the zoning bylaw say or should it say anything about short-term rentals? This is uh, a question we we get often. Um, So how the zoning bylaw regulates short-term rentals or what we're proposing with the new bylaw, if the entire dwelling is being rented, so similar to a dwelling being rented out uh, long-term, we don't regulate that. If there are three bedrooms or less 
being rented for individual room rental, we're not we're not regulating that. So once it becomes over the three bedrooms, so four or more bedrooms, it will be considered a lodging house and then a development permit will be required. So again, full house rental or for full unit rental, uh, we're not regulating that. If it's three bedrooms or less, we're not regulating that. But if it becomes four or more, it's considered a lodging house and a permit will be required. And then business licenses are still continuing to be retwi- required for short-term rentals. So can I ask why it's not uh, regulating it? Is because let's assume just for the purposes of discussion that we do want to limit short-term rentals in the city of Edmonton. If that was something we wanted to do as a policy directive, is the zoning bylaw the correct tool to that or is there a better tool? It definitely like could be a tool. Um, we've worked with, on short-term rentals with various different, different councils over the years and have had various different motions to do work on this, but it's always come back to that. If it's a full home rental or just a few bedrooms, we're not going to worry about it. But it, once it becomes more of a lodging house, we need to regulate it differently. But it, the zoning bylaw could be a tool to regulate short-term rentals. Uh, so I hate that this is the last question and a quick one because it's important. But what are the big goals of adapting our zoning and especially removing with single-family zones is affordable housing. What is the zoning bylaw doing to actually improve affordable housing? And I know we have seen administration perhaps hedge on the affordable housing promises because it's a difficult problem to solve. What can you say about affordable housing and what is the bylaw doing to hopefully improve affordable housing in Edmonton? Housing affordability is really tied to a number of factors, which is beyond the city's control, right? You can think of, um, you know, the cost of building materials, the cost of land, the demand for housing, um, mortgage interest rates. So there's a lot of different elements that go into housing affordability. What zoning can do is really help influence housing choice, housing supply, and housing diversity, which may contribute to housing affordability. And so, you know, for us, it was really important for us to have, like, for example, we've talked lots today about the small scale zone. We wanted to have a broader range of housing options. We wanted to enable row housing to be allowed anywhere or small, you know, small scale type of apartments. And so also looking at, you know, the number of regulations and how long will it take this permit to get approved and removing discretionary uses. So all of that is removing regulatory barriers. It's simplifying the regulations will help which will help shorten, you know, approval timelines and help reduce costs. So whatever we can do through zoning to enable more supply, to enable housing diversity and choice and removing regulations that we don't need to, you know, reducing kind of that red tape and 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 simplifying the process may help to increase housing affordability. So I know I've, you know, we, we get a lot of correspondence from Edmontonians saying, let's stop this bylaw because it's not, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, narrow homes, narrow home development or skinny lot developments or new homes at, at high price points. But for us, it's more allowing that diversity in housing choices. If we limit the type of housing, then I, I think prices would go up because there's less supply. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. Uh, like we do with all of our guests, we'd like to, at the end, give you the floor. If there's anything you want to communicate to listeners, say to Edmontonians, just say hi to your mom, whatever plugs <laughs> you need to do. Now, Now's your opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think my biggest thing is that, you know, uh, if Edmontonians are interested in learning more about zoning, 
and the zoning bylaw renewal. Uh, we have a website on the City of Edmonton website called Engaged Edmonton. You can access the bylaw there itself. We've also, we know a lot of Edmontonians may not want to look at the bylaw in its entirety, but we've created a lot of supplementary documentation, such as an overview document. You can do a little survey or do it, you know, Google a, a survey or put, put ideas. So just really encourage Edmontonians to get involved. You can also check out uh, Know Your Zone maps. So what is your current zoning? What is the proposed zoning? And then you can go into the bylaw and learn more about your proposed zoning. So just really highly encouraging Edmontonians to get involved. We're going to have the Engage Edmonton site up until uh, July 30th. And then Edmontonians can also get involved with the public hearing process, which starts on October 16th. Well, one final actual question uh, may have misled you there a little bit. We know you love zoning. What are your thoughts on the Talus Dome? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment? Actually? No comment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Have we ever had a no comment triad? I can't recall. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us, Livia. This is a good way to close out our speaking municipally season for this year, or this summer at least. And we're looking very forward to um, seeing this go to public hearing. And I mean, me personally, it passing, but you know, I won't yeah. presuppose any outcomes there. Thank you so much for both joining us and your hard work on this project. Thank you very much. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Livia. And we are Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.